for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. It's great. You, you know, it's funny. So I, I'm, I'm the kind of, I'm the data counting person for church. So I, I love all of like kind of numbers and stuff like that. And obviously we're low on numbers today. But the reason we're low on numbers is because we've got the youth away for a weekend and because it's the first week of half term. So you start thinking about that and you go, why, why then are we low on numbers because it's the first week of half term? Because we've got so many families in the church. We've got so many young families in the church. We've got so many people with young people and they've decided uh, that they're going to make the most of the fact their children are away for the weekend and go away the week, for the weekend themselves. And that says something about the health of this church, if you think about it. Because actually, we're a church full of different age groups, and that's a really, really healthy thing. So just to encourage you in that, that you're part of a church that is healthy, it's growing, but also in terms of the, the kind of the demographic of our church, we're, we've got a nice broad demographic. That means that we're a healthy church. We're not a church full of people in their 60s and 70s and 80s. We're a church that, that spans the age ranges. And it shows that actually, that actually we're a kind of a church that's growing, that we're a church that's, that has a future to it. Um, and that's great. Um, Anyway, as we continue our series on the gospel, we're going to be looking at Colossians 3 today. I've decided that I thought that rather than um, being thematic, because we are doing a thematic series, that means that uh, the preacher is given the theme and they uh, look at that theme from maybe various different parts of the Bible. What I thought we'd do today is I thought that we'd look at our theme but through one passage of scripture. Now, I don't some of you know this already, but I've been in a conversation uh, with a friend of mine at work, with a colleague of mine at the school I teach at, about whether or not Christianity is any different from any other religion. From his perspective, all religions are completely the same. They peddle, he says, the idea that if you do good things, whatever deity you worship, they'll be more pleased with you if you do good things, and it will enable access for you to a happy eternity. It's going to be like your golden ticket in. If you do good things... You'll get given a golden ticket at the end of your life and you'll get into heaven or get into whatever place you believe in. He believes the basis of religion is about control and manipulation. He says that actually religion is just a tool used by those in seats of power to control people. And like many modern thinkers, my colleague says that humanity has moved past any need for religion. He says that we've come to the self-realisation that we don't need the idea of God to do good things anymore. We can just do good things because we're people and we, our motive should just be, just be actually that we're moral and good people. We can and do good things because it's the right thing to do, he says. So, as you probably imagine, me being uh, one of the leaders in a church and uh, preaching on Sundays, I, I don't agree with him on that point. Um, we don't have a lot, of, a lot in common when it comes to religion. We've got a lot in common with one another, but when it comes to religion, he goes, don't talk to me about it again. I don't want to talk about it again. But I realised something, and that, that's actually that he and I have a really different understanding of what Christianity actually is. You see, what he does is he places Christianity among all the other world religions. He says that it is a religion. I don't think that Christianity is a religion. There is a clear distinction between what we believe, that's the faith of Christianity, and other world religions. You look at other world religions, look at any of them, and you'll see these things are true. They will teach you that you need to gain your deity's approval by doing good things, by becoming a better person. Better yourself, and you will gain your deity's approval. 
Take Islam just as one example. You need to, if you're a Muslim, adhere to the five pillars of Islam. And some of those five pillars include uh, taking a pilgrimage to Mecca, which is called the Hajj, or praying five times a day, fasting through the month of Ramadan every year, and giving 2.5% of what you earn to the poor. In order that, so that Allah will approve of you, so that he will accept you. What you do in a religion affects the outcome. In essence, religion is all about you. It's all about how you are able to achieve certain things. You piously tie yourself to a set of teaching and follow it down to the letter in order to safeguard yourself beyond this life. And that isn't Christianity. It's not what we believe. We don't believe that. That isn't the gospel of Jesus. It's not about what you do as an individual. It has already been done for you. Christianity, at its very heart, is a belief that as individuals, no matter what we do, we're never going to be good enough to please God because he's perfect. Paul says that everybody falls short. I said that last time I spoke. Everyone falls short of the glory of God. And that's why you and I, we need Jesus in our lives. Perfect, holy and righteous. That's who he is. And he's able to stand in our place before the judgment of God. Um, Just another quick story before I really get into it. The other day I really blew it. I'd run into Tom Hyde's actually. I was just going into Audi to get some milk. And I'm I'm waiting in the queue at the checkout. And I just a boy in front of me and he's buying some sweets and some water it was really random you know when you look at what somebody's buying you're like why are you buying sweets and water buy sweets and coke you're on your own you're like 14 years old um sweets and water but there was a a woman at the front she was at the till and I was like you know when you start getting really frustrated because you're like I thought I picked the shortest queue but it's now the longest queue and everybody else is going through what is going on and this woman at the front of the queue starts putting food back starts giving it back to the cashier she said, I'm, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I can't I don't have the money. I don't have the money to pay for it. And so she started giving food back, and, and it wasn't quite enough, so she then had to give some more back again. And I'm watching it, and I completely, I'm, honestly, I was such a plonker. I, I started having this debate internally in my head of, if I pay for it for her, is she just, am I just going to embarrass her even more? If I, if I pay for it for her, is, uh, you know, will it just look like I'm just trying to be, you know, trying to be a good person kind of thing? Um, and by the time I'd made the decision, yeah, I know, I, I need to listen to you, Holy Spirit, I'm going to pay for this woman shopping, she'd gone. And, uh, and I thought to myself, I, I couldn't, and then I was caught in the indecision of, do I buy it anyway and then go and find her in the car park? But what if she's gone? I don't want some cabbages. I don't want some extra chicken. What if she's already gone? And, and I, I drove away from it and I just thought, I'm such an idiot. Why didn't I pay for that lady shopping? Because I could have had an opportunity to show her the love of Jesus. And I got home and I told Claire, and she was like, you idiot, why didn't you just pay for her shopping? (laughs) So I couldn't win. I I was hoping that she would give me some sympathy, but she didn't. You see, I'm so grateful that my relationship with Jesus isn't based on my performance, right? It's not based on my performance. I'm sure you would have paid in that instance. But you know what? We all mess up at other times. And if your eternal destiny and your relationship with God is based on a performance we're all going to be in trouble at some stage or another. You're all going to have that moment where you just don't think things through quickly enough. You need Jesus, and I need Jesus, as, as, as my righteousness. Um, I'm studying, uh, so I'm doing an MA in Christian thought and practice at the moment, and uh, I'm studying hell, which is really, really, really exciting. Um, but I've just become recently aware of how terrifying God really is. He rules over heaven. But he also rules over hell as well. Did you know that? 
He holds the keys to life itself, says the Bible. He's holy, he's immortal, he's utterly perfect, he sits outside of time, he holds it all together, he made the universe, and we can't even fathom the sea on the world we live in. We don't even know how deep it is in certain places. He made the universe. He is scary. And none of us, actually, when you come to think about it, have any right to even usher his name, let alone think that we could do enough good to ever stand before him. We can only stand before him, only stand before this God, this utterly perfect, righteous and just God, because of Jesus. He's our righteousness, says the Bible. His blood, the blood of Christ shed on the cross for you, is your defence against the wrath of God. It's all about him. And why am I saying all this? Well, I think you need to keep being reminded of it. Otherwise, there's a danger that you can slip back towards religion. You can slip back towards a way of life that means, oh, I've got to try and earn God's approval. I've got to try and do this and try and do that. Maybe he'll love me just that little bit more. He'll accept me a bit more. Paul had to remind many of the churches he wrote letters to in the New Testament of this. You you read his letters. He he carries on saying, look, you're not saved through religion. You're not saved through Judaism. You're saved by the grace alone of Jesus Christ. And he does that through the book of Colossians. In fact, Colossians was written to correct some wrong teaching, as many of the New Testament uh, books were. Um, The teaching in Colossians that that Paul's addressing, that he's saying that that's not right, is is about the nature of Christ. That is who he was. You can read that in Colossians 2. If you wanted to find out a little bit more about what I'm talking about, read what Paul says in Colossians 2. You'll see that there was some false teaching happening. And this false teaching was uh, something that most of the early church were grappling with. Why were they grappling with who Jesus was? Well, think about it. You've got this Jewish man. He walks around Israel in the first century. He goes around. He claims to be God, which is enough for some people to try and stone him. They crucify him at the end of it. He claims to be God. He does miracles. And he tells people, worse of all, from a Jew's perspective, that he forgives their sin. He claims to be God. So actually, the church, even though they say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, they're still trying to work out in the New Testament, at the time of the New Testament, who this Jesus really was. I believe in Jesus. I believe that he died for my sins. But is he really God? Or was he sent from God? Is he a prophet? Is he a teacher? Or is he the son of God? And if he is the son of God, how does that actually work? And so in that context, you've got a lot of people teaching stuff that's wrong. And so Paul turns up and he says, no, that's not right. This is right. Um, And he says to them in Colossians 2, if you read it, look, in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. He says, look, actually, the fullness of the deity lives in Christ. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness, he says to the Colossians. He's the head over every power and authority. And so Paul is very clear that it's only and all about Jesus. Why is that important to you? Well, there's always a danger that we don't make enough of Jesus. We can say, I'm saved by grace alone. I believe in that, but, I don't, but you then don't make enough of Jesus. You actually end up effectively just turning him into a man who's a good teacher rather than who he is, which is God. See, do you make, maybe make too little of the gospel in your own life? Do you make too little of the work of Jesus? Because as Paul says, salvation starts and it ends with Jesus. So we have that in Colossians 1 and 2, and then we get to the reading that I want to go through today, which is Colossians 3. So Colossians 3, verse 1, and it will come up on the screen hopefully in a second. We've got it there? Cool. 
He says this, if you've been raised with Christ, set, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and is in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one of you has a complaint against another, forgiving one another, just as the Lord Jesus has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So my question before I read that was, do you make too little of Jesus, either through your actions, the things that you do, or your inactions, the things that you don't do, like me and Aldi the other night? I should have done something more than I did. It was my inaction. Paul's message throughout the Colossians is this. Keep the truth that Jesus is your risen saviour front and centre. He says, since you've been raised with Christ, set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Since you've been raised with him, don't marginalise, belittle or sideline the amazing truth of who Jesus is in your life. That he's the son of God and he's your saviour. Keep King Jesus as your focus, says Paul. To be a follower of Jesus is to have your gaze on him, to fix your eye toward Jesus, the risen king. Not to think of him just as your access to God, but to worship him as God, to make him your all. Are you, as an individual, allowing your life to be shaped by Jesus? Or are you holding something back from him? What do your relationships look like today? What about your bank account? Are you holding something back from God? What do you do with your money? Um, A little while ago, we had a special offering and I felt God telling me to empty our savings account and I wrestled with God. Honestly, I wrestled with God. I I, I was like, "Mm, maybe I'll give you that much. No, 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 I'm going to take it all. No, 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 maybe God, I'll give you that much. No, no, I want it all. And eventually I gave God the whole lot and the release... For me in that was just, I know that I need to give God everything. I need to be prepared to give God all of me. Because actually, Jesus says you can't worship both God and money. And in some ways, my savings account was becoming a safeguard to me. When actually, I need Jesus to be my safeguard. Um, So I was worshipping it. I'd created an idol out of my savings account. There's nothing wrong with savings. Savings are great, don't get me wrong. But we can make an idol out of things sometimes. What does your money look like? What about your time? What about your time? How you spend your time? What about your thought life? What about the habits that you have? Are you following Jesus in everything that you have and everything that you do? Because to me, living the gospel life 
is not endlessly reaching hopelessly for approval, but it's walking in the approval that you have in Christ, keeping your eyes fixed on him and allowing the gospel to continually shape you. So what does that look like practically? Well, I think Colossians 3 shows us that someone who is allowing their life to be shaped by the gospel is is two things. They're growing in personal holiness and they're learning to do what's called one-anothering. You'll see that phrase almost a hundred times in the New Testament. One anothering. What is one anothering? Loving one another. So growing in personal holiness. In our verses, Paul uses the word put several times. You'll have noticed it. In the, so I read the, from the ESV version of the Bible when, when I, I read it. And if you notice that there, he uses the word six times. Put six times. In the NIV, it's three times. And it, it gets translated as clothe yourself in the other instances. Why am I saying that? Well... He's using the word put for a reason, because he's telling you you have to do something. He's not saying it's just going to magically happen to you. Actually, he's saying you have to do something. You have to be active. He's saying that your faith, who you are in Christ, you've been raised with Christ, you are a Christian already, now results in action, now results in a change in you. The first thing that Paul says is that you should put to death what is earthly in you. And the Greek here means to kill it. Literally means to kill it off, put it to the sword, cut it out of your life. So he's telling the Colossians to actively engage in making things of the old self dead to them. And that's where some Catholics, so this verse and a verse in Romans is where some Catholics got into really bad practice and misunderstanding what putting to death is. So, because we talk, this is called mortification, yeah? So it's about putting things to death in you. And so they engaged in whipping themselves or wearing constrictive garments to self-punish, self-atone and self-inflict punishment. You might, if you read the Dan Brown novel where the guy belongs to Opus Dei, he's doing that thing. He's he's basically trying to atone for himself. He's uh, inflicting punishment on himself. It's total nonsense because it's not what Paul was talking about. Paul's not saying beat yourself up if you sin. He's saying cut things out of your life if you know that they don't conform to the image of Christ. Because as God tells his people in Leviticus, be holy as I am holy. Paul is saying the same thing here. Now, I've got a pair of, got a pair of um, sliders here, and, and I, I love them. I absolutely love these. They're just they're great. Um, they used to be white. They're not quite white anymore. Um, they're a bit old and horrible. Well, frankly, actually, they're a bit orange on the inside. They smell like cheese. Um, and I've not actually ever been able to get rid of the cat poo that's on the bottom of them. The, <laughs> the, the crisscrosses just too gross for it. I, I think it, they're okay now. But I love them, and I can't bring myself to get rid of them just because I feel comfortable in them. They are so comfortable to me. I like wearing them around the house. Sometimes, I, well, I've, I've been wearing them in the garden since I trodden the cat poo, if I'm honest. Um, Claire's not in here, is she? But yeah, I, I don't normally wear them in the house, but sometimes I forget because they're so comfortable. I forget that I've got my cat poo sliders on and I end up walking around the house and then I go, oh, cat poo. I just can't get it off. Um, I, I don't want to have to get a new pair. If I get a new pair, they're going to rub. They're going to hurt me. I don't want to get a new pair of sliders. These sliders are cool. Look at them. Honestly, if I could, genuinely, I would wear these all the time. Personally, I still think I look really good in them, but then Craig Norman turned up a couple of weeks ago and they're basically a blue version of these that look brand new and I realised how rotten these look now. I'm pretty sure you think they look rotten and worn out and old as well. What's Paul getting at? Paul's saying that there are habits in your life, things that you think look okay, 
they don't look okay. They're, they're, they're old, they're dirty. They're, you need to take them off. You need to get rid of them. You need to throw them away. So sorry. Throw them away. Get rid of them. Cut them out of your life. You don't need them anymore. And put on, Paul says, the new self. Put on something new. Paul is saying it's time to take them off. It's time to uh, take off the old self with the old habits because, to be honest, they don't look good on you anymore, girlfriend. They don't. (laughs) And we need to actively put on the new self. We need to do something. Paul, in, in verse 12, if you've got the NIV, it will say, clothe yourself. Instead of your old habits, clothe yourself, he says, in the nature of Christ. In Galatians, Paul says that you have been baptised, you have been clothed in Christ, or you've put him on. We need to wear the things of Christ on our lives. We need to wear compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. And it's an active choosing to behave differently. Now, what I'm saying to you this morning is for people here who are Christians. All of these verses are not directed at you if you're not a believer in Jesus this morning. This is directed at you if you're a Christian. Since you've been raised with Christ, is what Paul says. He's addressing a group of Christians. So what I'm saying to you here, Christians, this morning is this. Um, perhaps you, even in your, in your Christian walk, you've, you know that there are some habits in your life that aren't right and you need to put them to death. Let me give you a few of them. Perhaps last night you were in a fit of rage at home. Maybe actually all your family see of you is angry. Maybe they only ever see you as an angry person. Or maybe, actually, nobody knows it, but you're completely addicted to pornography. You love looking at stuff like that. It's in your life. And no matter what you say, it's happening in the background. Or perhaps you just can't stop being jealous of what your neighbours have. Maybe you've seen their new car that they've got and you think, oh, I just really want that car. Look at them. They just, everything seems to be great in their lives. I just, want, I just want what they've got. Their life seems perfect and mine doesn't. Are you coveting what they have? Or maybe you've been gossiping about people. Maybe you gossip about people even in the church. You gossip about what's going on. Maybe you go, oh, you know what, let's just talk about them. Let's talk about what's going on in their life. And, and they're people that you would call friends, but really you know that you're gossiping about them. Well, these verses are speaking to you this morning. If you're serious about Jesus and you're serious about following him, the verses are clear. You need to cut those things out of your life. You need to get rid of them from you. Well, how do you do that? Because I'm not just going to say something and not try and give you some practical advice about how I would go about it. Well, a good place to start is to talk to Jesus, yeah, to talk to him. I think often when I sin, the first like the other night at Aldi, it was a sin. I should, I should have paid for that lady's shopping. It was a sin. I didn't show her love and kindness. My initial reaction is to hide my face from God, like Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden. They, they sinned, and the first thing they did wasn't to go, God, we got it wrong, was to go and hide from me. And he had to come and find them, didn't he? Where are you? Where are you? And what we often do when we sin as Christians is we think, oh God, I'm going to hide from him. I'm not going to read my Bible for a couple of days because he doesn't want to talk to me anyway. I've gone and done it again. I've gossiped again. I'm not going to talk to you. I'm not going to pray because actually I I just can't. He doesn't want to talk to me. I'm not going to listen to worship songs in the car because I know God doesn't want to talk to me. So what we do is we actively run from God when actually what we should be doing is running to him. We should be going, God, I got it wrong. I messed up. I'm sorry. Jesus, forgive me. So the first thing I'd say to you is come to the cross and just say, Jesus, I'm sorry. Secondly, I think to change, because the word repentance means to turn away from something. It means to actively turn away. To to change, you need to work out why you're caught in the habit in the first place. Why are you caught in it? 
What is it? Why, how did you get to this point in your life? Because if it's a behavioural habit, is it learnt from somebody else? Are you angry with your wife and kids because actually that's what you saw when you were growing up? Maybe that's what your parents were like of you, and maybe that's just learnt behaviour to you. Are, are you engaged in looking at pornography because you feel lonely or unloved? Maybe you just feel like, actually, I, just, I, I feel like I need to connect with people, so therefore I'm going to look at this stuff. Are you slandering others because you're actually really deep down just really unhappy with who you are? Now, I think you need to talk that through with somebody. It's not something that you can just do on your own. It's helpful to talk these things through with, a, with I would say, with a, a close Christian friend. Or even, it might be that for some of these things, you need to go and get some counselling on it because it's something that will help you to work out why these things are ingrained in your life. Perhaps you need to receive some more help with it. But once you have worked out what it is and why it is you're doing those things, then you need to turn away. You need to change the habits. Make steps to beginning instigating new patterns of behaviour in your life. Because that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, get rid of this stuff and do this stuff instead. Stop doing this stuff and start doing this stuff. Here's a couple of really down-to-earth, down-to-earth earth kind of ones. If you've been covered in your neighbour's car, why, why don't you go and wash all of your neighbour's cars? Yeah? Why not? Why not? Because that will work something out of you. It might actually stop you coveting as much. If you've been slagging off or gossiping about people, why don't you start giving them a call and finding out how they are? And rather than telling everybody about how they are, just start praying for their needs yourself. Actually bring them before God and say, God, I know this person's really struggling at the moment. I'm not going to go and gossip about it. I'm just going to pray for them instead. Daily, you need to engage in the spiritual discipline of prayer and reading the Bible. That's what you also you need to do if this is you today. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes that we need to take every thought captive to obey Christ. And in Romans 12, he says that we need to renew our minds. And, and when we do that, we are transformed. You can only bring about lasting change in your life if you know what God says about who you are and who you are in Christ. And you're only going to find that if you read the Bible. So maybe you've been running away from God because you're caught in sin. But actually what I'm encouraging you to do is come back to God and actually focus on him. Secondly, so this second point here, and lastly, one anothering. Well, there's a whole theme, isn't there, in these verses of one anothering. Behavioural traits like anger, lust, greed, covetousness, obscene talk, most of the time just don't just involve ourselves, they involve other people as well. Jesus said, love your neighbour as yourself. If we all did that, then our lives would be a lot easier, wouldn't they? If I love my neighbour as myself... I wouldn't get angry at them. I wouldn't be jealous of them or talk obscenely with them or about them. If I loved them as myself, I wouldn't do those things. You know, when we do these things, we not only harm ourselves, but we harm other people around us as well. The behaviours that we, we portray eat away at us, but they also eat away at our relationships with our family, our friends, and also they do eat away at our perceptive, perception of our relationship with Jesus. There's another side to this, though, as well, isn't there? What happens if you're on the receiving end of someone else's anger, lies, or negative comments? Because I've, so far, I've spoken, about, I've spoken to you if you know that you're engaged in those things. What about if you are, on the, you are the receptor of that angry person at home? What if you're the receptor of somebody, you're, you're married to somebody, and you find out that they've been engaged in pornography? How do you deal with that? What is it like? What about if somebody's been gossiping about you? Well, Paul says to you in verse 13, he says, Bearing with one another, if one of you has a complaint against another, forgiving one another, just as the Lord forgave you, so you, almost, you, you must also forgive. 
Look, and I know that that's really hard. I know that that's hard. I know forgiveness is really, really difficult. I understand, and I know that some of you have been horrendously treated and sinned against. But Paul exhorts us to forgive. Why? Why is it so important? Why don't we always just forgive people? Well, because forgiveness is really hard. Um, I heard Matt Chandler say once that he says, I know people who have been seriously sinned against who really struggle forgiving and letting go because it feels like they're letting the other person off the hook. They're letting the other person off the hook. He goes on, he says that that, that can lead to bitterness and resentment. So I don't forgive sometimes because I feel like if I, if I forgive them, I'm letting them, I'm letting them off the hook. I'm letting them off the hook. But Paul says that we need to forgive one another. Um, I'm just going to go completely off piece for a minute. It's funny, it's really weird. I, don't, I didn't know when I was going to say this this morning, but I thought it was the right time. Um, I had the strangest dream last night, and I don't normally have dreams like this. Um, I woke up, bolt upright, about 2 o'clock in the morning. Um, my heart was going a 1,000 beats to the minute, honestly. Like, I don't normally dream like this. I had a really vivid dream. And I came in this morning. I, I, on the way here in the car, I was, do, I, do I say it this morning or not? I'm thinking about it. I come into the prayer meeting. My dad goes to me, did you have a good sleep last night? <sighs> did you have a good sleep last night? I had a dream last night. And I, I wasn't me, which is normally, uh, normally in dreams, I'm like an FBI agent. So, yeah, I, I wasn't me in this dream. Um, and I remember it really vividly. I was, I was in a bedroom in the house. And I was scared to death. That's how I felt. I, li- I literally, when I woke up, like, oh my goodness, I'm, it, that's not, it's not happening. You know, when you get those dreams and they're really vivid. Um, I was scared to death because I was frightened there was a man coming up the stairs and I was frightened that he was going to come into the room and abuse me. Um, it's not happened to me, okay? So I believe that it's happened to somebody else here or I believe that it's happened to somebody that you know and I believe that God just wants to bring to you restoration, and that's going to be hard, and it's going to require forgiveness on your part, um, and it's going to require trusting in God. Um, I'm just going to ask us to close our eyes. I'm going to stop for a second, if that's right. I just want to pray about this now, and then we'll carry on, okay? Lord Jesus, I just... This stuff that I'm talking about is real. There are people in this church who have been, I know, Lord, because I trust you when you speak to me, that have been abused. There are people in this church who have been treated horrendously by others who are living in sin. And Lord Jesus, I know that it's difficult and it's hard, but Lord, you call us to forgive. And Lord, I pray, Lord God, today that you would come alongside any of my beloved brothers and sisters here who have faced this in their lives. And Jesus, I pray that you'd start to bind up their broken hearts. Lord, I pray where it's completely ruined relationships for them, ruined their perception of the world around them, where they blame themselves for something that is entirely not their fault. Holy Spirit, Right now, come and bring your love and your peace. Lord Jesus, I pray, Lord God, today, Lord God, that they might know a newness in their relationship with you, but also in their identity in you. Jesus, that they might walk free from this, Lord God, free from the guilt and the shame. Lord, they did nothing wrong, but Lord, they feel guilt and shame today. Lord, I pray that they would walk free from that. Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus. Amen. If that's you, can you please come and speak to me? And I'd love to pray with you about it because I think actually this is not something that just happens and changes straight away. Okay, but I believe that actually God is speaking to you if that's you this morning. So we can feel that sometimes we're letting people off the hook if we forgive them when things like that have happened to us in our own lives. But God hasn't called you to be the judge of others. And if you've been sinned against, God isn't going to let them off the hook. 
He'll deal with the judging. Don't hold on to that unforgiveness in you. It will destroy you if you do that. I think in other circumstances, it's quite easy to let unforgiveness have a hold on you. And it's easy to be pious, isn't it? So maybe just kind of changing track slightly, it's easy to take the high ground with people. It's easy to take the high ground with people, to feel sinned against, to take offence at what somebody says to you. Have you ever said or thought any of the following? I can't believe they spoke to me like that. Oh, they spoke to me like that. I can't believe they lied to me. Why would they lie to me? Why didn't they include me in their conversation or their night out? I can't believe they didn't include me. I thought I was their friend. And it often starts in a petty, relatively petty way. We're annoyed about someone over something they said, and rather than going to them, we hold on to it, and we stew over it, and it starts to creep into our lives more and more, and we resent them for it. You know what you should do if somebody's offended you? Is it to hold on to it? Is it to gossip about it? Or is it to do what Jesus said? And Jesus said this, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Every, even if they sin against you seven times, so seven times a day and seven times coming back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Jesus calls for radical forgiveness in our lives. For the things that we've really felt massively sinned against, the things that I just spoke about a minute ago, abuse, for example. That's a huge thing, and it takes time to forgive. And the petty things as well. Actually, Jesus calls us to be people who live in forgiveness and walk in it. Don't gossip about it around them or not to them. Go and confront them and speak to them and say, look, do you know what? When you didn't invite me along, that just really upset me. And, and I just want to tell you why it upset me. And can we just talk about it? When, when you, when you uh, lied to me, that really upset me. And then talk to them about it. And if they, they say, can you just please forgive me, then you can walk free, can't you? Don't hold on to bitterness and resentment. Because what's the alternative? You start to wear that unforgiveness like my ugly pair of old sliders again. And it just doesn't suit you. In fact, it just eats away at you and it hardens your heart to the things of God. If we want to follow Jesus, as Paul says here in Colossians, and keep ourselves fully focused on him, we need to pursue him with everything. And that means continuing to kill off the stuff we know doesn't glorify him and form new habits that do glorify him. Demonstrating the love of Jesus to those around us. We are going to get it wrong. You're going to get it wrong this week, even. And we're always going to make mistakes, like me and Aldi. But Paul encourages us to keep pursuing Jesus, to set our minds and our focus upon him. Um, so what we're going to do now is we're just going to worship together. And I'm just going to invite you, if you feel like, so there's two things I want to just talk about just quickly, but as we come, so can the band come back up as I'm saying this. Um, the two things are, if you feel like you are living in sin, or if you feel like you have been sinned against, okay, I would like this morning to be about forgiveness for you. That you start to say, do you know what? I'm going to start forgiving people if you feel that you've been sinned against. But also today, if you know that you are living in sin, it's time to come back to Jesus and say, Jesus, I just want to turn away from this stuff. And then this week, it's then time for you to go and actively start repenting, to turning away from it, okay? Isaiah wrote this, and Jesus said that this was about himself. The Spirit of the Lord, God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. The opening of the prison to those who are bound. Jesus wants to bring you freedom from the prison of your unforgiveness this morning. 
to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that, and this is the good part, they might be called oaks of righteousness. Jesus, we come to you this morning. We thank you that you are the wellspring of life. Jesus, we thank you that you have authority to forgive sin. I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning that, Lord, that you would come and forgive sin right now. If you know that you are living with unrepentance, if you know that you are living in habits that you know you need to bring to Jesus right now, just come and say sorry to him. Come and ask him to help you change them in your life. Right now. So, Jesus, I'm sorry. Jesus, I love you. You're my, you're my Lord. I want to make you my Lord again this morning. Jesus, I want to place you in the highest place in my life. If that's you this morning, this is the time to say that now. But if you're here this morning and you feel you've been sinned against, whether that's in a small way or in a huge way like what I said, like that dream I had last night, Jesus is here for you this morning. He's come to start binding up your heart and the heartache that you feel. This prophecy is for you this morning that he will make you an oak of righteousness. This prophecy for you here this morning that he is going to put you in a new place and make you an oak of righteousness. He's come to set the captives free. We believe that, don't we? Yeah? He's come to set the captives free. You are in captive to sin. If you're in captive to, to unforgiveness, he's come to set you free. Jesus, we just love your name. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Jesus, that you forgive our sins. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would come and do that now in our lives, Lord Jesus. I pray for us, Lord, this morning, come and release freedom. I proclaim the message and the name of Jesus over people's hearts and lives this morning. We believe that the name of Jesus is powerful, that the name of Jesus has the ability to break strongholds, to break chains in people's lives. And Lord Jesus, we proclaim your name right now over people's lives, where they are bound in unforgiveness, where they are bound because of things that have happened to them. Jesus, I pray right now, in the name of Jesus, I declare freedom in the name of Jesus right now.